Hello and welcome to another episode of the Midiara Meets podcast where we speak to all kinds of people who work within sound and music. On the show this time we've got Millie Chowles who is a radio producer, she's a presenter and journalist who's worked on a myriad of radio stations. She has a really profound story of her own which we, we briefly touch on but you can research if you'd like to. Um, relating to trauma and addiction which is one way that she got into radio presenting and her love of it has grown and she's now working for Radio 1, BBC Radio 6 Music and a lot of other places. Um, I do make this podcast completely by myself from my bedroom so uh, any support is greatly appreciated. A lot of time and effort goes in behind it, behind the scenes. There's now over 60 hours of uh, conversations and that represents a really small proportion of the time I've put into it. So any support is greatly appreciated. Um, but let's get on with the show. The first thing I asked Millie was about her musical beginnings. My earliest memories of music um, are probably... Uh, I inherited a record collection, just a small record collection from my sister, who's about 13 years older than me, and my stepmom, who I think is about 20 years older than me. Um, and I just loved these records. I had a little record player and there were a couple of tunes in there. There was all sorts. They were all like compilations from like the 70s and early 80s, basically. Um, and there were a couple of tunes there that I really I really, really loved, uh, and the one that I that sort of stays, the one that stays with me is, um, it's an old sort of Italo disco track, really weird, called um, Bumblebee. Oh, sorry, it's called Ladybug, and it's by Bumblebee Unlimited, and it's this crazy Italo track with uh, this kind of weird, sort of sexy, sort of seduction between two bumblebees, all done in sort of like crazy little um uh falsettos uh yeah so it's a really really weird track but it's got an amazing riff and I just loved it I was like obsessed with this record and I used to play it all the time and also because it was a bit sexy and a bit weird I also sort of felt a bit like oh I hope no one hears me listening to this weird bumblebee sex story <laughs> on a record um so that's one of my earliest memories of music uh and I just there were all different kinds of you know I don't know I mean it was just it's just that I had these records and they were mine um and I loved uh kind of like exploring them and and also just sort of singing in the car I guess along to my to my mum's Fleetwood Mac and Elton John and uh the Travelling Wilburys and oh, wow. uh people like that yeah. Amazing group. Yeah. Traveling. Wil you don't really hear people talk too much about the Traveling Wilburys nowadays, but like what an amazing super group. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. That was absolutely that was very much my um, my parents vibe. So, yeah. Yeah, they were. Nice. Yeah. I haven't thought about the Traveling Wilburys for quite a while. But <laughs> there you go. Maybe I'll dive into some of their back catalogue tonight. After this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's, I think it's always good if to like in you said you inherited some record collections. That's always quite a wondrous thing, isn't it? To just go through them yourselves and uh, you, yourself and just pick through these colourful things and choose the ones that you like. Yeah. What what mm. other tracks sort of stood out on those compilations that you mentioned, like the eighties and the seventies ones? 
I mean, I'm thinking Blondie hanging on the telephone. I, I remember loving, absolutely loving that. So I had all these kind of, yeah, loads and loads of weird, uh, loads and loads of sort of compilations. And the way the compilations were was there'd sort of like be one section that was, there was people like Dexy's Midnight Runners and all these sorts of old um, 70s bands that, I mean, I guess I was really young at that time. So I didn't even really know what was happening kind of musically like in in the time that I was living but um I was just yeah I just loved the fact that they were my records and that I could explore and listen to different things every time I'm trying to think of of tunes that stood out there were like some quite sort of cheesy sort of disco tracks like D-I-S-C-O and and things like that and um I liked the I liked Dexy's Midnight Runners I remember that and um that Italo one and then I also remember sort of being given smash hits compilations and top of the pops compilations as I as I got kind of older I guess but still like this is still like pre 10 years old um so yeah being given smash hits albums and and that's when I suppose I started to get a bit more into electronic music you'd sort of hear things I remember I think like the first electronic track that I really remember just loving was um Black Box Ride on Time and it was in the charts and it was um and I remember seeing it there was like a Saturday morning kids program I'm really aging myself now (laughs) but that's fine uh and there was this Saturday morning kids program and I can't remember what it was called but it was set in like a fun fair and I remember seeing Black Box performing Ride on Time on this um kids Saturday morning TV and I remember saying I love this track to my dad and my stepmom and they were like oh, <laughs> oh no it's awful that is awful and I and I guess yeah I guess I just I sort of fell in love with that sort of sound from there and then that kind of progressed I guess to when I was sort of at secondary school getting handed down. I mean, I got really into indie music before I got really into electronic music. I was really into bands and like the more obscure, the better. I was a real kind of geek from a really young age and I would buy all the music press. Like at age 11, I'd be getting like Melody Maker and NME and um, sort of geeking out about uh, Nirvana and, and, but yeah people who else I mean people like Pavement, Sonic Youth and all that kind of 90s grunge, shoegazer, slacker that kind of that kind of stuff um and um that's brilliant and yeah I got really really into that and then this is still really really young this is still when I was like 11 12 and then I think around 12 um some older kids were going to kind of raves that were local to us and um that I wasn't old enough, obviously, at 12 to be like going off to a rave, but you'd get these mixtapes coming back um, from like Fantasia and Universe. And there are a few mixtapes from that era that I really, that really, really kind of changed the game for me. And one was Sasha Universe 92, Return to the Pleasure Planet, um, which is just still one of my favourite mixes of all time. And uh, I loved, I loved that mixtape. And me and all my like 12 year old girlfriends all learnt all the words to every single tune and we'd like sing it and I had the cassette 
And then I can remember like a friend of mine nicked it and then I managed to like get another cassette and then another friend nicked it. And then and then it was sort of lost for years until later, you know, until, you know, quite a while later when I kind of found it again on the Internet. Um, and there was like a Tony DeVitch track cassette that I remember being given and absolutely loving. And I've I've sort of searched for that and I've still never found it. It was amazing. Um and uh, wow. Top Buzz and um, yeah, wow. Top Buzz and who else was it? I had a, an amazing uh, tape. Slip mat, slip mat, slip mat, and Top Buzz. That's it. Uh, a Fantasia one, which I loved, and yeah, yeah. So, yeah. That, so that was quite, yeah. Sorry, you were saying. <laughs> no, that's incredible. I've I've literally based, I've written down like everything you just said because there's like stuff that would be great to talk about on all of them. Let's first of all go to Ride on Time, which. I think it was out in 1992, if I'm... I think it was 1992, do you reckon that's about right? Yeah, I think it might be early. I think it might be 91, oh, okay. but yeah. Because I remember that song as well, and just hearing, like, a vocal sample that was clearly, like, being played, like, mm. uh, you know, like, where there's, like, a repeating section where the vocal gets cut, but it's repeated. And I remember, yeah, I remember my, you know, it was it was such an amazing sound. It really worked with, like, a big, soulful vocal to have that sort of repeated repeated pattern um yeah huge tune that one massive piano riff as well yeah totally yeah and I remember because it was and I remember just hearing it's like oh this is the sound in Europe now this is like the sound of like all you know this is this new sound coming over from Europe and and just thinking wow that's so cool and also I think I love the fact that my parents hated it they were just like oh no this is awful. always helps that you know so <laughs> it was yeah it was such it was such a it was such a sort of de- deviation from the travelling Wilburys. They were like, oh, no. <laughs> Is that they were talking on the radio yesterday. Uh, Sean Keevney was talking on the radio yesterday about, like, hmm. translating um, phrases that are popular now with children, having to, like, translating them for the middle-aged audience. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I remember him, I remember, and he was saying, oh, what you should do, you know, as a middle-aged person is repeat these phrases to your kids, you know, in context all the time. They're going to love that. And uh, it's a little bit like that, isn't it? When you're younger, you've got like a lingo between you and your friends. And then when, if your parents start using that lingo, it just destroys it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it definitely like for my, I feel like for my generation, I sort of, I sort of always think it's quite funny because I think obviously... When I guess in the, I mean, I I was a young teenager at the beginning of the '90s, so I was well, I was I was basically ten in 1990, so it's easy to like, so and then sort of twenty in 2000, so like that was my whole teenage mm. era. Same um, with me, really. I'm only a couple of years off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, I guess electronic music was very new at that time but it's not now do you know what I mean so I sort of I feel like so for much for, for example like so you know I've got a child now and I sort of think oh what's he going to be into like that's gonna is there anything that he could be into that would like like horrify me and I doubt he I doubt there is I don't know but maybe I'm sure that he'll find a way to find some music that horrifies me in 10 years time or whatever yeah I don't know I remember my dad always used to say like oh this rap music all sounds the same to me and um I could sort of get what he meant but I would sort of try and explain why I liked some rap music and uh yeah I just always remember him like literally not being able to differentiate rap songs because it all sounded the same so I guess that's you may find yourself saying that to your to your son maybe 
Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. It's yeah. I mean, it's there's not many. I don't know. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? You can't sort of see yourself in that role of like because I feel like I'm still very open to all kinds of new and experimental sounds. I can't exactly imagine myself going, but you know, I guess you know, there's there's ten years of, of that. There's ten years before I have yeah, to. Yeah, I'm sure you're very cool. Be really old and close-minded. <laughs> yeah. um, Switch off to <laughs> about, all the things. about music. <laughs> yeah, but that's. That's amazing that you say about Tony DeVitt. I remember, I do remember some amazing tracks by that guy. I think I do have a couple on vinyl, like The Dawn, which was uh, probably later mm. on in his career. Um, I think there's a story that Tony DeVitt gave his whole record collection to Fergie. You know, the DJ, Fergie? He was like a Radio mm. 1 DJ. There was a story oh, that I remember hearing like 15 years ago, and it's obviously like probably pre-internet days, so it could have been a total lie, but somebody said that Tony DeVitt gave his entire record collection to uh, Fergie or maybe left it to him after he died or something um, also Top yeah oh, wow. Top Buzz as well I had a really great mixtape by Top Buzz I, I can't remember what club night it was from but yeah you, you mentioned Top Buzz and yeah straight away I was like oh my god I remember that name yeah and there was a track on there and actually a couple of years ago like Mum Dance did this um, did this like top 10 happy hardcore tunes you might not know about from the early 90s or something and there was and there was like my standout track on this top buzz tape was it was a uh, it was I'm gonna attempt to sing it because there's no other way to like describe it but it was like Beverly Craven this is again this is very <laughs> old certain era no <laughs> uh Beverly Craven singing it's four o'clock in the morning and it's starting to get light that was see that's why I'm not a singer. Um, wonderful. And um, <laughs> um but it was like really, really speeded up. It was like this song, four at four o'clock in the morning. And um yeah, I loved I loved that for some reason. I just absolutely loved that. It was like, yeah. And it's by Orca, I found out. I never knew who it was by at the time. Um it was just a it was just a track I loved on this tape. And then I found out that like Mum Dance chick um picked it for his like top 10 happy hardcore tracks amazing about. yeah mum dance is um, brilliant he's, and many, he's, he, i think he's from brighton yeah. he's from where i am i think let me see uh, yeah I, I love mum dance um, but i came across his stuff from emma who was a girl i interviewed a few weeks ago uh, who's a really great producer and she started off making music and had one of her tracks played by him and um yeah she's mm. yeah she's doing amazingly and um she runs a thing called producer girls which is like a workshop thing in london i've been to one. Oh, have you i know emma yeah i've oh, been to you? one of her producer girl Amazing. i came i came to the one in brighton actually did you yeah, oh my it god it was really good yeah it's great what a small yeah. world um i Iconica was there. Iconica was doing it, and Etch was there, and Emma. She's amazing. Yeah, she's um, she's she's doing great stuff. Yeah, she's really cool. She's a really nice girl. Very funny girl too. I listened. To, I would listen to her NTS radio show and just be giggling my ass off whenever she was talking. <laughs> yeah, she's yeah, she's very yeah. funny. She's a, she's a bit of a Twitter legend. Oh yes, yeah we yeah we <clears throat> spoke well. about the the, the Fatberg um, and all that sort of stuff, which is just amazing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, we're deviating a little bit. We did deviate a little bit there, but um, 
Yeah. Oh, that's amazing that you found that Sasha mixtape as well, by the way. What, a, what an incredible moment mm. those moments are when you finally get it back. Yeah, finally get it back. And now, because people have been kind enough to put up the entire track list, I've now sort of like started collecting all the records. Oh, wow. Um, the actual records. And um, yeah, 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 that he played. Um, I mean, you know, the ones that aren't like two grand, um, <laughs> the ones that are affordable. But yeah, so that's nice. And those records, it's, it's amazing how like, I mean, that's, you know, 30 years ago. And that like those records still just like, give me so much joy um yeah and that mix I still I still absolutely love it and and it kind of buzzes me up like just how it did like back in those days yeah absolutely that yeah and Sasha Sasha is such an incredible DJ um yeah what an amazing guy so consistent with what he's doing mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's some great Sasha and Digweed sets that, for me, are probably some of the best sets I've ever heard in my life. And uh, yeah, mm. just such a brilliant combination. So, when did you when did you start collecting? Other than being given that record collection, when, did you start uh, collecting records yourself? Yeah, I did. I mean, I did in I did in my teens. Actually, I started um, like by I was always well, I was always buying records. I mean, that was the era of vinyl. So, if you wanted, you know you wanted to tune, you either got it on cassette or vinyl. Um, so yeah, I bought records all through my teens and sort of up to my twenties, but, um, I basically lost my whole collection in my twenties. My twenties were pretty, um, uh, what's the word? <laughs> Challenging. Uh, so yeah, I mean, my, my record collection was kind of decimated, um, as was like a lot of my life for that for that for that decade to be honest so yeah and then I basically came back to it um a lot later in life very recently actually in the last three three years four years yeah maybe just maybe three years um I started yeah so in terms of yeah in terms of starting to collect records again um yeah, it's only really been quite a recent thing again for me now, after a long like hiatus in the middle. So yeah, can be good. I think um, mm-hmm. there are some like real rarities. I know, yeah, there are records that cost like two grand or, or you know, uh, yeah, huge amounts of money. But I think you can find some really good rarities on Discogs. Um, some of the best techno records I know are like fifty p on Discogs. Like no one's ever heard of them, but they're absolutely amazing. So. I think it yeah. can be a good time to buy records now. Yeah, definitely. It's good when you go down a little rabbit hole. Like I I did last weekend, just went down a little rabbit hole of, oh, that was a track I like. Does that does that artist have any other aliases? What are, what are their aliases and what has he, you know, what tunes have they made and found like some kind of really old things, uh, really old sort of forgotten tunes that aren't, yeah, that aren't being kind of, you know that aren't on all the compilations and uh aren't that well known so yeah that was good um you're Definitely. gonna ask me who it was now and i can't i can't, can't remember <laughs> um, my my, no, my, my brain is quite gonna... civ like at the moment <laughs> that's fine i was no i was just gonna okay, say discog is, is amazing for for like um yeah certainly for interviews and things if i'm interviewing people it's a really amazing resource to just look through what people have done and when they've done it and um I myself go on down on rabbit holes as well with Discogs, just going, ah, who is the mix engineer on that amazing album? And then finding out other stuff that they've worked on. 
Um, yeah, I love Discogs. Mm. Like, yeah, brilliant, brilliant yeah. website. And yeah, I mean, I don't do that enough these at the moment, and I really enjoy it when I do. Awesome. Yeah. Going up to the present day, you're d- doing all kinds of things, including um, producing radio shows. Yeah, I would say that's my kind of main Amazing. job. Yeah, I'm a radio producer. Um, so, and I do. I mean, I've done quite a lot of different shows over the years, but um, yeah, my so I do. I make a dance music show for Radio One at the moment um, called The Residency. And um, but I started out actually making kind of more sort of documentary style programs, and so I still do um some of that and I do podcasts I make podcasts as well um yeah it's really varied which is one of the things I love most about it really excellent yeah really you have a really admirable sort of back catalogue of work uh, like body of work um just I mean in terms of like the subject matter that you've covered in some of your shows it's quite it's you've been quite open and candid um with stuff that's happened I was watching a talk that you did earlier on saying about how one documentary that your mother watched sort of ended up changing your life. And yeah, I think it's an amazing thing that now you're sort of taking on that, taking on that role as being, yeah, someone who helps other people and informs um, the wider public about issues that maybe don't get, yeah, don't get raised very often. Mm. Um yeah so yeah yeah I know the I know the talk you're talking about um so yeah when I was about um I don't know about 27 or something my mum I was in a really really dark place with addiction um I'd I had a lot of struggles as I sort of alluded to earlier um not all was rosy from quite a young age um in terms of mental health and addiction and um yeah I kind of went went to some pretty dark places with that and um you know it's always very difficult to deal with someone who's um kind of suffering in that way um you know addicts behavior is really pretty difficult to deal with um and um so obviously families it's it's really hard to know what the right thing to do is and um, obviously you have to have kind of quite clear boundaries and look after yourself within that but um, there is a, a sort of phrase that you hear a lot about like tough love you know basically kind of and some people will say I'll just let you know kind of cut them out and you know when they when they've had enough pain they'll kind of they'll change but um, my mum saw a documentary that sort of um, presented a different option which is that you know actually if you let them kind of, you know if you let people go too far they just will die and that is you know that is the sad reality for for many people um uh and it was uh, it was actually by john bird who founded the big issue saying that kind of anyone who was homeless or had um and, and had addiction issues should be given the opportunity to go to rehab um he obviously it was a whole documentary so he made a very kind of compelling case and my mum saw it my mum had been sort of advised to just like let me be and you know leave me to my own devices um but after she saw that um she decided that she had to kind of help me get into rehab um and which she did and um and yeah I I you know I don't know if I I often you know I always think 
that I don't know if I would, you know, even be here today if that hadn't happened. You know, things were really, really dark. Um, so, yes, it is important for me to kind of um, pay that forward. And I, I guess that from that, you know, that did spark something in me that I was like, you know, the media is a powerful thing. You know, it has powerful influence in how people think and, and can affect people to do things that they might not have done before you know um it certainly changed my mum's mind in that moment and she made a pretty radical decision at that time um so yeah so I guess I'd always been interested in the media I'd always been a kind of voracious reader uh, and I'd always had this kind of thing inside me that wanted to tell stories and that wanted to tell my story I suppose as well you know felt you know all that I'd been through by that point you know I I felt there had to be some kind of purpose to it I suppose deep down on some kind of level um and I also obviously felt the weight of people's misunderstanding and uh you know a a lot of ignorance and stigma that surrounds kind of mental illness and mental health challenges and addiction um so yeah I've always kind of felt that and I guess that that just kind of confirmed it and then that was definitely a yeah definitely an an experience that stayed with me um so yeah so since then I have gone on it wasn't an overnight thing but eventually I got you know after a few years working in radio um and through a chain of um chance meetings and trying to pitch stories that mattered to me that came from my lived experience I I was in a position to make um like I've made a few series of radio features um, about women and addiction and about women leaving prison and about all kinds of things that kind of have, um, you know, have been informed by my own lived experience, really. And um, yeah, one of the most amazing moments was when after like a feature that I made went out, I heard from the program that you know someone had called up and said after hearing it they decided to put their daughter in rehab so it was like a very beautiful full circle moment really absolutely yeah yeah, yeah it's tremendous it's tremendous work that you've done since then obviously uh, those years were challenging for you and the people around you and it's really commendable that you came through that and that your mum was able to sort of open up and and see that there was there was a a possibility for you an incredible story and I'd really urge people to watch the video that you did and I'll put a link in the show notes to it which explains sort of in detail what your um yeah what your your story was um it's really it really is incredible um and yeah, so because in that story you talk about uh, being given an opportunity by a community radio station to learn to produce. Yeah, so that's how I first got into radio. Basically, was I, and was I? Um, yeah, I was in rehab basically. So, um, and I, you know, again, like it took me a while to start like telling people how I really got into radio because. You know, where I'm at at now, no one would really, if, unless I've told you, no one would guess how I'd got into radio. They'd think I've just done what, you know, most people who work in radio do is gone to university, you know, and uh, gone to school, gone to university, got a job in radio. Do you know what I mean? Not, I mean, I know it's not, it's not that, it's not that straightforward, but, um, but the reason I 
are, again, like the reason I, I like to sort of, well, I don't like to, I, 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 I make a point of uh, telling the truth about it really is because, you know, I felt I was so far down, you know, I felt like my, I'd missed, you know, I was 29 when at this point, you know, and, um, and I just thought, you know, I couldn't do that kind of work, you know, isn't for someone like me, you know, people like me don't get jobs like that or do things like that. How on earth would I even do it? I didn't even know how to get a job in a bar, you know, like <laughs> I couldn't even hold down a job in a, in a, in a bar where I definitely couldn't hand, hold down a jo job in a bar because it was a nightmare working behind the bar as anyone who employed me in that time will know. Um, um, <laughs> but yeah, I, yeah, I've, I mean, yeah. So I, I got into rehab, um, when I was around 29 and, um, in this particular rehab, which was, you know, I'd been in for a good few months. Like I did like a prime, like a detox phase, then like a, like a, a more, slightly more, a more intensive phase at the beginning. And then there was like what they call third stage, which is where you're, you're living fairly independently. You're still going to a lot of groups, but you're also doing, you're starting to kind of integrate back into the world, I guess. And you're doing things like different groups. People start doing educational courses or going to the gym or whatever it is. And, um, you know, there was like things like creative writing groups and gardening groups. And one of the groups that they had, or one of the courses that was on offer at the time was a, a radio course at a local community station. And um, it always been a dream of mine because as we spoke about, you know, I, I loved music so much and I, I was desperate to be a DJ basically from the moment I knew I knew what it was and so the idea of being like a radio DJ you know was just an amazing was just like a, a fantasy really I never thought it could actually be something I did um, and um, yeah I did this course and I just loved it I really really enjoyed it and you know, I guess all those sorts of like geeking out about music, um, like tendencies came out and I, and I, and I really started. To, so like, I guess there was that kind of desire to put like content and storytelling into all my shows and stuff. And, and I just got like a, a, like a regular show. And I know it's like, it's more of a thing now because there's so many internet stations, um, but there weren't at the time. This is like, you know, 12 years ago, there weren't loads of internet stations at the time. There were a few community radio stations, which are slightly, slightly sort of like smaller scale, really. And um, yeah, I just sort of ran with it. I learned how to edit. I learned how to sort of drive a desk and how to put a show together and started broadcasting a show on a Friday night, you know, which probably only had about five listeners, but <coughs> it didn't matter because yeah, it was it was just more about the the doing it really. Um and uh, it was like a guide to independent record labels and so I do like kind of just explore the back catalogues of different record labels like Oh, that's cool. Um yeah, I really really and I really enjoyed it and I learned and I was learning loads, you know, I was learning more about these record labels that I liked and and um and diving into it and I just loved that whole process and that was really kind of the template of like what I've been doing ever since. Um I got some really lovely feedback from the people who were there sort of teaching me and mentoring me and saying you should kind of you should continue with this and so I went to uni and I started uni um 
yeah, it was like 29 when I started. I was 32 when I graduated. I did a, I did a course in radio production and I loved it, you know, ran with it. Especially after having kind of, you know, a decade before that, you know, in in kind of like in hell, basically. <laughs> um, this, uh, I was clean. I was, you know, rediscovering life. And I just found that with a kind of microphone in my hand, I had this kind of this ticket to like explore things that were interesting to me and meet people that I was interested in. And it was just like such a dream come true. I loved it. And the university that I was at, one of the things that they did was they did like a festival radio station at this local festival. And I'd be there interviewing the bands and yeah, I just loved it. I just thought, wow, this is amazing, you know? And and it just kind of built from there, really. And, yeah, and I still love it. Yeah. Yeah, I love that you had the opportunity to do that. And I, I, I really, I used to work in community music myself and... Um, I've interviewed someone who runs a community music uh, project uh, for a really early episode on this podcast, uh, Omunit, who who um, I mentioned before we, we started recording, I mentioned last time we spoke, um, he works in community music, he's Bristol-based, massive producer. Yeah, and I have to shout out my friend Louise, who's been a drum and bass uh, community music DJ for, God knows, like the whole time I've known her, which is maybe like 15 years and um, yeah, it's brilliant. There's so much soul in there. There's so much reality. Uh, yeah, hundred. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, it just like it gave, you know, it gave me an opportunity. And I don't think that you know, I mean, the majority of people who probably, I think I was probably the only person who did that course, you know. And there's probably lots of people who did that course. Probably the only one who who went on and got a career in radio. But whether you did or you didn't. It just gave, you know, there's so much that you gain from that experience of just like, you know, learning this new skill and being kind of valued enough to be given this opportunity. And um, yeah, because I've also worked in community music as a like, as you know, sort of leading um, programs and stuff. Um, so, yeah, I, I worked at a sort of music and mental health charity in London and yeah, it you know, it's not about necessarily like those people going on and having a professional career, although some will, and that's amazing. But really the benefit, like the process of doing that, the the kind of interactions that you have with people, the relationships that you build, um, and just the process of creating and creating alongside others and challenging yourself to do something that you've never done before. I just think that that is such a healing process um yeah absolutely is and it's sort of um yeah even doing yeah doing things that are out of your comfort zone is an amazing thing to do isn't it It just sort of widens your perspective of the world a little bit Mm, yeah definitely um yeah I've I've known a lots of different amazing community projects that have uh, I mean I, I have a friend who's a professional photographer and um He'll go and do photography workshops and and some of them really simple instructions that anyone can do, you know, like take photos looking through, looking in and looking under. 
And like those three words, uh, you know, it's very simple instruction for a workshop, but it opens up the doors to so much stuff in photography. And you, I've seen like, yeah, I've seen so many kids just really get into it because they've had that, you know, that spark just goes with them. Yeah. And also, yeah, like you say, it like it opens up your perspective. It helps you to like pay attention to different things and, you know, each different kind of medium, whether it's photography, I guess that helps you to kind of notice things in a different way and, and look at things in a different way. And and one of the things I noticed about with radio was, um, you know, I had been kind of socially excluded, you know, through my kind of lifestyle, although I don't really like to call it a lifestyle or through my <laughs> through my life, basically, you know, um, through 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 the challenges I'd experienced, I was like kind of I was marginalized. I was socially excluded. I wasn't kind of like in a community or in or in society. And, and radio gave me this help, gave me the tools to speak to people, you know, to listen, to research, to, um, yeah, just basically, yeah, just like gave me a kind of safe way to like relate to other people and, and find out about the world that I'd kind of not really noticed for the last 10 years because I'd been so sort of trapped in my own head and my own kind of personal hell so yeah mm. amazing yeah, it, was, it was lovely for all those reasons an amazing idea as well that you uh, that record label just focusing on one record label each time and doing a show on it I reckon that's such a great idea for like a format for something now like I'm just thinking of like Reflex Records and R&S yeah uh they, those are the just two that come to mind they'd be like wow you could do such a great show if you just did that yeah. I'm, I'm sure um such a genius idea for like your first foray <laughs> into production thanks yeah i remember I, I mean i did like i remember doing xl records that was a particular favorite oh um, wow yeah yeah and yeah it's kind of funny because i like i work with quite a lot of people from xl now in my job but i don't tell them that my like one of my first radio shows was a tribute to you <laughs> or a tribute to xl <laughs> yeah. um yeah but yeah i guess it, it served me well because i was like you know i didn't ever even when i was doing that show at that time you know i could never have imagined that i you know that i would be working at radio 1 or 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 working at the bbc even at all you know like working or even making money, you know, being paid to make radio shows. That would have just been like a completely impossible dream. At the time, I was just like, wow, this is so fun. I'm just like, I'm playing. I'm like pretending I'm like Marianne Hobbs on the radio. <laughs> and and, um, and uh, yeah, I would never have been able to foresee kind of where that would lead to. And, and all of those experiences kind of really helped me, you know, really helped me and yeah you just don't you just don't know wherever where it's where it could lead to do you not at all no I love the quote you said that it was your radio show was more like Alan Partridge than Marianne yeah. Hobbs <laughs> yeah really... it definitely was there are definitely some very Alan Partridge moments I think anyone who's worked in local radio knows that Alan Partridge is very very close to the truth <laughs> it's that's why yeah. that's why it's so funny yeah <laughs> definitely definitely so cool, yeah. So, what do you actually do as a let's uh, let's maybe talk about your work on Radio One. Mm -hmm. So, what yeah, what do you do as a producer on a show? Like, what is your your role there? That's a good question and one that I get asked a lot actually. And actually, I because I, I did a I, I was <laughs> I did a degree in radio production, and I think like I was still in my second year, going, what what does a producer actually do? <laughs> um, so I wasn't entirely sure. Um, but yeah, so it's not, it's 
So it varies. It varies from from program to program how much input the producer has. But generally, you are kind of alongside you know other people in your team. You might be working with an exec or uh, with a presenter, obviously, and with an assistant producer. But you will essentially be kind of um, curating that show. So you might be the one who books the presenter. Um, you brief the presenter. Um, you kind of steer what direction the show is going in. You get content. You might get interviews. You might um, uh, you would write the script for them. You would edit the show if it's pre-recorded. You would put it all together. So, like if it was like a radio documentary, you'd go out and record all different parts of it and sounds, and and then kind of like edit it all together or even if it's just like a a straight music show um like the residency you'd kind of mix um mix in the the vocals with the tracks coach the presenters help them to kind of um be better presenters basically be broadcasters um yeah that kind of thing and then obviously you know kind of taking care of all the paperwork writing the description that goes on the website you know doing social media all of that stuff so yeah excellent i'm sorry to ask you such a generic question no it's all good i do get no i no, i didn't mean it was generic i mean it's just it's funny because i always say like i'm a radio producer and people are like what does that what does a producer actually do and i don't think it's i don't think it's um i don't think it's that obvious because it's funny because lots of people think oh you work in radio so you're on the radio and and yes i am so, sometimes but most producers aren't um I, I have like a sort of a bit of a dual career where I, I'm also a reporter as well as a as a producer. But as a producer, yeah, you're very much behind the scenes and and people are like, people kind of assume because the presenters, who you hear, you sort of think the presenter puts the show together, but the presenter basically often will just turn up and everything else is kind of in place for them to do their thing. You know, they might not even write their own words. Often they're, they're obviously going to write most of the, you know, at least put it into their own words. But a lot of that is steered by the producer. I see. Right. Yeah, it, it is one of those sort of dark art uh, jobs that, um, yeah, I certainly do would not have a clue what a radio producer was do, uh, does until you just said that then. And now it all makes perfect sense. But prior to that, I, you know, yeah, it, is, it does seem like a dark art. And um, mm. yeah, sort of. It's it's obviously a very very important role in in putting a show Mm. together. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, in terms of like you know, technically, I mean, it's kind of varies a little bit where you are. I mean, some people will like you'll you'll sort of also set the studio up, record the studio, um, record what's sorry, record what happens in the studio. Um, You might even like drive the desk, all sorts, basically. Yeah, get the video content, everything around the show basically yeah fantastic Mm. fantastic and so you've worked uh radio one and radio six music is that correct i've worked for yeah quite i've worked for um most like bbc network stations i actually started out in radio four um uh i still work for radio four fairly regularly i've also worked for the world service six music radio one um, and Amazing. make a lot of make a lot of podcasts now as well. Um, it's quite is podcast industry is booming as well, you know. Um, <laughs> so make a lot of podcasts for clients, um, either independently or through or through other companies. Oh. 
I was I was interested to ask um, or to find out what is what is radio's view of podcasts. Like I'm not saying, for example, that I am my podcast is very popular or like challenging to the networks. But like, what is the radio view of podcasts in general? Well, I can't speak for the whole of radio. But... Oh, okay. <laughs> um, well, can you get everyone together and find out? Sorry, I'll, I'll, send, I'll, I'll send her. But no, I think, um, I mean, it's funny because when I, first, when I did my degree, which I did a degree in radio production, I mean, and that was like 10 years ago, um, podcasts were sort of a thing that was happening, but no one thought you could make any money from them or that there'd ever be anything kind of niche interest and obviously now we know that that's not the case you know we know that they are mass you know they're they're mainstream media and big 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 business um so I think radio has like yeah I mean obviously I I mean I have a quite a kind of BBC tinged view because I've done most of my work for the BBC and obviously the BBC are very much on it with making their own podcasts and stuff now but I and most most broadcasters are making their own podcasts now but I think I think there is also something really special about radio um and I hope that podcasts will never replace radio because I think there's something very kind of special about live broadcast radio and I think that that the two can coexist. Um, hmm. It's an interesting know. one. I think um, I, I don't have a television, so I don't really watch TV. Um, but I was around my friend's house watching the football a few weeks, uh, nights ago. And there was like a match of the day, the sort of football programme. After the football, they had like basically a podcast, really informal chat with three of the presenters. And it was like a podcast format TV show. And I was like, yeah. wow, I haven't I haven't watched TV for maybe two or three years. Like I actually sat down and watched it somewhere. And I was like, wow, the world the TV's like it's now like that's they're using that format on TV now, which is cool. It was great. It was nice to see people really relaxed, swearing. Um yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely changing the game, I think. Um and of course, there's lots of kind of areas of like slight tension and stuff because podcasting obviously was the kind of the land of the kind of independent DIY maker. And and now there's like a huge, there's a lot of celebrity led podcasts. I think that's a kind of an area of like a little bit of contention in the podcasting world. Um, but again, I feel that they both can just make each other stronger. You know, I think if you're if you're like someone, you know, if a celebrity podcast brings you into the podcast, the world of podcasts, and then you might just stick around and find some other like indie podcast that you really love. You know, it's the same like same like music. You know, you might get into electronic music because you love Black Box Ride on Time because you see it on <laughs> top, top of the pops and then stick around for top buzz and slip mat you know <laughs> so it's that same thing isn't it you know I think it just like it just creates more and more opportunities um but there's always going to be that kind of contention oh my god they're ruining the podcast you know 
podcast kind of landscape but I, I don't think that's necessarily true yeah um, I think you're right I think there is something quite special about radio quite magical about it um yeah there's just so many amazing things that have happened with radio um over the years like Radio Caroline stuff getting broadcast I mean do you know do you remember when Chris Morris was on Radio One I don't think I listened to Chris Morris when he was on, on Radio One no but I am a big big Chris Morris fan um yeah yeah He's amazing because he Cause, also started out in Radio Bristol, I think, and got fired. And um, yeah, because uh, he was yeah. he became the reason that Radio One shows were pre-recorded. Um, they got people to phone in obituaries in preparation for if Michael Heseltine was pronounced dead. And he did that live oh on Radio God. One in 1994. So they got people phoning in oh and going, God. he was a tremendous man. He was an asset to the the landscape <laughs> of politics and all of this stuff. And he actually like, oh got God. these people to phone in and give obituaries. But the guy hadn't actually died. And that's the reason that Radio One shows are... And probably all radio shows pre-recorded. It's just fucking amazing. But maybe just maybe just his programme was pre-recorded. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah. yes, there's been definitely been some like there's been some like pretty big moments. I mean, the other the other obvious the other big moment that sort of changed radio is the um, the Russell Brand moment. Who's oh, she, yeah. who? What, who was he with? Oh my god! It was like the daughter. Gone. It was the granddaughter of Michael, the guy who Michael played Palin. Manuel. No, no, oh, no the guy yeah, who played Matt Sachs. Michael Sachs, yeah, is it? That's Peter Sachs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So his granddaughter. They were. He was on a podcast with Jonathan Ross, or a radio show with Jonathan Ross. Was it? Was it Jonathan yeah. Ross? That's right. Yeah, Jonathan yeah. Ross and Russell Brand. That's right. Yeah. And then after that, there was this like, there's this huge, huge kind of changes to how program making decisions were made and having to get things signed off and um, compliance, they call it. And it's still a thing that exists today. So everything has to be complied and risk assessed in that certain way. And it's kind of mad that, you know, maybe that things weren't before that. Um, but yes, obviously that was um, that was another big event that yeah. changed radio. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I mean, obviously they're not pre-recorded. That was like a stupid thing to say, I guess. I guess well yeah what's more accurate is there's like a delay a delay oh, right. between yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. it being said and the it going out into public so yeah I sorry I, I said yeah. pre-recorded I didn't that's not what actually what happens is it um but yeah there very, is yeah there is a delay uh I I mean I have the whole Chris Morris back catalog of Radio 1 shows if you want them they're really lo-fi oh mp3s they're absolutely hilarious <laughs> some of them their roving reporter is on mushrooms and they're just telling him what to do on the streets <laughs> <laughs> and they're live that's amazing <laughs> it's like that's amazing brilliant. yeah they, they get this guy to just Paul Garner his name is and they just get him yeah. to go into shops or go into hotels and I mean, he's not on he's not on mushrooms all the time, but there is one particular one where he is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> amazing. When um, oh, I actually remember in the first in my um, in my one of my first things I had to do when I when I was at uni, um, they one of the sort of like icebreaker lessons. They were like, oh, bring in a piece of media that's like that you think is really shocking or something like that, and um, and I brought in a. Chris Morris, um, I think it might have been Chris Mor Morris, the paedophile thing. Oh, and, uh, um, Brass Eye. And yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, it was a bit, 
yeah, it didn't go down that well, to be honest. <laughs> it was like one of those. That was when I realised, like, oh, yeah, we've had different lives. Like, I don't know. I don't know. We just, like, my, that maybe that maybe my sense of humour was unusually dark um, uh, compared to these sort of young, bright-eyed, bushy-eyed, bushy-tailed, sort of very green 18-year-olds that I was on the course with. Right, yeah. So, what what do you, can you remember what they the sort of thing they were bringing in? That that yeah, I I'm just imagining like very non-controversial <laughs> stuff. Yeah, pretty non-controversial. I can't actually remember all I remember is like everyone looking at me like what what are you making us watch? <laughs> and I was like, "Come on guys, it's funny. It's a joke." <laughs> and they were like, Oh, what my mum. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. I thought you were going to say... Yeah. The, the, no, I love Chris Morris. Yeah, I thought you were going to say you took in Blue Jam, which is, you know, uh, just as weird as that um, Brass Eye special. Um, yeah. Crazy stuff that is is very weird and uh, yeah. hilarious and uncomfortable and lots of things that you don't normally experience yeah. to combined. Yeah, 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 yeah. Amazing. Um, maybe should we talk about your podcast that you're making now? So yeah, you make something called the Back to Life podcast. I do. I just started quite recently, um, which is which I found quite scary because I make podcasts um, for a living. So the idea of doing my own one um, felt quite scary. Just the same as when I started doing a radio show on my own on an internet radio station like Threads. I found it really scary because I was like, I do this professionally. I, everyone's... I don't know who everyone was, but I was thinking it needs to be like this super high, high production values, professional job. But um, just like this in the show. end, that's just a kind of, yeah, well, this, this <laughs> is, yeah. It isn't. <laughs> um, but it's con- it, content is the most important thing, isn't it? But also it's just doing it. I feel like that was just a, that's just a way of me kind of blocking myself from doing things I want to do. It's fear of failure, really, essentially, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, and fear, fear of, not being, of not being good enough. And, then, and that can just hold you back from doing the things you actually want to do. And like we spoke about, you never know where that's going to lead you if you just do the thing, even if it's scary. So, yeah, it took me a while, to be honest, to... I thought about it for a long time. I'd often think about, oh, I should, I would like to do a podcast um, and um, and sort of talk to myself out of it. And then eventually, I guess the voice just got kind of um, loud enough. I guess I, I think kind of lockdown. I guess was a time when lots of people started potentially doing things um, that maybe they'd thought about for a while. Um, and it wasn't because I didn't have like it wasn't because I had loads of time on my hand because I have a, a small baby, small child. Um, so I don't have loads of time, but I just think that voice in my head got louder and louder to a point where I just couldn't ignore it. And I just, just knew I had to do it. And again, I guess just having a few helpful conversations with friends who are like, you should really do this. Um, so yeah, I started it and it's, it's been good. Um, it's a lot of work, isn't it? Doing a podcast. It's a, it's a hell of a lot of work. Yes. <laughs> but it's, yeah, but I love, I love, I love doing it. And again, it sort of kind of takes me back to those early days of, you know, kind of discovering radio for the first time where I just like, I had this kind of, this reason to go and speak to people that I found, find interesting and, and have those conversations. And 
Um, the podcast is about recovery and creativity. It was initially going to be about kind of music and mental health, music and create uh, music and and recovery, but um, I kind of wanted to keep it nice and wide so that I could go and talk to all different types of people, really. Um, so yeah, it's recovery and creativity um, and how the two can kind of inform each other and encourage each other. Um, uh, as I found, you know, Amazing. found kind of reconnecting with my own recovery, uh, sorry, with my own creativity in my recovery has been incredibly powerful and healing thing. I, not why, it's not why it's not saved my life. Like in that sense, it's not like, I don't know if it's like people want to, uh, I don't, sometimes people want to say, oh, radio saved my life. Radio didn't save my life. Um, like doing a 12 step program saved my life. Um, doing a very definite recovery program saved my life. Stopping taking drugs to save my life. But, um, but it's definitely taught me so much about life and yeah just keeping that those creative projects kind of going has been has been a really yeah healing part of of my journey I guess so just finding out more about that and I feel like I've got like a long way to go with it so it's quite nice to speak to other people and and feel and be inspired by them and yeah we're in early stages it's still it's still pretty early days but um but I've been really I've been really enjoying it Yeah, it's a really admirable thing to do um, to continue to, to continue the discussion of recovery and I guess there's always people that are going through dark times and you might just be there for that one person who needs it at that particular moment. Um, yeah, creativity is hugely important, isn't it? I guess if people stop being creative, um, there's no outlet. You know, there's no outlet for feelings and emotions and thoughts maybe you know if relationships aren't giving us those things sometimes yeah just being creative can be an amazing way to to sort of free yourself I think yeah definitely and like we were saying before about kind of community projects and I suppose because I've had my own experiences on both sides of that kind of being you know working in community projects and being helped by community projects and seeing the benefit of creativity for the sake of creativity I think sometimes we you know because we live in a capitalist society it's always like kind of um where are you going to take that what are you going to do what's the next step you know how are you going to monetize it how are you going to kind of climb the ladder how are you going to be a big success but actually just the just creativity for creativity's sake I mean it, it you know I always think back to you know again like even even earlier stages in rehab where we just do little kind of I don't know, craft group or something. And there would just be some, just like the, that moment of peace and just that moment of satisfaction of just making something, just make, just making something, even if it's not very good, just like, you know, just that focus and, and that moment of kind of relief that you could get from your own thoughts or, you know, um, and just a little kind of boost of self-esteem from having created something that wasn't there before you know, and, and the practice of continuing to do something and, and seeing yourself improve, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, whether anyone else, whether anyone else notices or not, you know, um, 
yeah, that that process and just that having doing things that you just do for joy. I think that is really important. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think. Um, yeah. Um, for me personally, and I know for lots of other people, uh, yeah, there's creative endeavors that we do that are not making us any money and we're not amazing at, but are really valuable moments spent quietly just doing something. I yeah, I mean there are there are some like techniques which are like try and make something terrible, aren't they? Which I quite like because you're just free then to just because we all put so much pressure on ourselves to be good at something, even if we've never done it before. Actually, that's one of my favourite things to do. Mm. Uh, one of my favourite um, sort of questions um, is uh, it's from a Tim Ferriss pod. You know, do you know Tim Ferriss? Mm. The name's familiar. Yeah, he's got really. a really big yeah. podcast. Anyway, it's huge, and he's he's really interesting guy. He talks to lots of interesting people. But one of the people he spoke to said about um, list ten things that you would do if you didn't have to do them perfectly. And just that format of that question, immediately I started pouring out all these things that like I wanted to do, but I just always thought I just held it back because I wanted to do it perfectly. So it's really interesting, a really interesting yeah. question to look at is what what are the 10 things you would do if you didn't have to do them perfectly? Um, does anything come to mind when I say that for you? Yeah. Out of interest? Singing. <laughs> Singing. <laughs> I still sing, even though I can't sing. I love singing. Oh, you're a good singer. Uh, and uh, singing, no. <laughs> um, come on, even my mother knows I'm not. I think singer. if you enjoy singing, um, you're a good singer. But That's like my, you know, if you like it and you love it and you will do it, because I just refuse to do it in front of people. I just will not do it. It's too much. Yeah. <laughs> well, I I'm a good karaoke singer because I am a performer. Like deep down, I'm a performer and. Uh, and I really like to give it some. So I love, I love, um, that's one of the things I always sort of like, I was like, why, why, why can't I sing? I really want to be able to sing. I think like that would be, that would be how I would, that, if I could like in an ideal world, I'd, I'd be a singer and I'd be like kind of wearing lots of crazy outfits and be like a front woman. That would be, but unfortunately I couldn't sing. So I know it did. I know it hasn't stopped a lot of people. But it stopped me. Um, uh, I was just going to name some names and be really catty then. But that no, that's very weird. similar to what my... Because um, fair play to them. Yeah, I did actually <laughs> yeah. say to my dad uh, the other week, um, uh, Bob Dylan's just turned 80. I just mentioned it. We're talking to him on the phone. And he said, yeah, and he still can't sing. <laughs> it's exactly what he's saying. Um, but yeah, it's so a really yeah. great little exercise to do that. I really enjoyed it. There's another great exercise, which yeah. was sort of one of the reasons um, that, uh, yeah, that I brought up the Back to Life podcast, because you talked about the inner critic, uh, like stopping you do things mm. and talk about the, um, the self-trash talk. Of, of, of the stuff that we yeah. all do to ourselves. Um, and yeah, there's another exercise, yeah. which I think is from the same person. No, so I probably should remember who this person is, but um, it's write down, describe your inner critic. Like describe that person. It's mm. a really fun exercise to do. I probably wrote about a full mm. A4 page about this impossibly perfect yeah. human being. Yeah, and it's, but I mean, I think like just being able to, the thing is, I mean, that's one of the most useful things that I've learned, I guess, in recovery is that you are not, you are not your thoughts and you don't actually have to believe all your thoughts um, and you can question and interrogate and ignore your thoughts, you know? And so, yeah, 
get yeah that inner critic stuff really came up for me massively like I spoke about when you know I was like oh but it needs to be of a certain standard and I need to have it mixed and I need to you know and blah 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 and I'm not good enough and who do I think I am having a bloody podcast and who's interested in listening to me and and blah 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 and you're not going to be able to keep it up and you're just going to make a fool of yourself all of that sort of stuff was coming up and I but and I it felt very you know it felt felt real but it didn't feel so real that it stopped me from doing it I was like yeah okay I like I could kind of witness it a bit a bit more I guess um and yeah I don't know god I I think that's really interesting like describing your inner critic because mine yeah mine would just be like a really horrible person that I wouldn't want to hang out with anyway because they're just constantly being really like a real really negative bitchy horrible person so you know, I definitely wouldn't want to hang out with my inner critic. Oh, God, no. Um, it's like the and worst it's person kind, ever. It's kind of mad how, yeah, exactly. And it's kind of mad how we talk to ourselves and we would, you know, in and we would never talk to a friend like that or anyone else like that. That's really. so true. You know, we'd always say to other people, go on, no, like, you know, give it a go. Oh, I'm sure it'd be amazing. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, um, so, yeah. And it's trying to kind of turn that around I guess and gave yourself a little bit of that isn't it 100 percent, yeah I have to also mention there is another Tim Ferriss episode where he's talking somebody is talking about the inner voice and using Roger Federer the tennis player as an example uh he's a very calm collected man who's won a ton mm-hmm. of trophies but he's like yeah he's just really calm and collected and and the, this guy just says you know imagine to what imagine what Roger Federer is saying to himself um, you know, multi-world champion tennis player when he messes up. And even if you just look at his body language, you know that he's not, like, cussing himself or, like, calling himself a dickhead. Mm. He's he's just allowing himself to make the mistakes to... Yeah, mm. it's it's the inner voice is a very important thing to regulate. Yeah, it's really... I mean, mine was absolutely out of control, like, on, on such... Like, that is kind of... Yeah, sometimes, you know, like, the kind of just absolutely kind of filling you know so there's so there's lots of improvement has has been made there and it still does come up you know quite a lot but um but um it's not kind of like berating me a hundred you know like all day every day um Mm, anymore that's good um it pops up from time to time and I get to notice it um and witness it and yeah and 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 question it and actually ignore it and just carry on with my life <laughs> and carry on and do things I want to do which is um you know which I wish I I'd, I could have done a lot earlier to be honest um having some kind of space from your own thoughts I think is is really important yeah I guess it's it would be useful maybe if I mean are there any sort of resources that you think people can go to if they're sort of in difficult places is there anything that you would recommend people go to or do I mean it's quite vague I know yeah I mean I guess it depends what you know what you're struggling with um so for me um in terms of addiction I mean I I said it earlier but I I, I'm in a 12-step program and that that is that's kind of set me on a spiritual path um and that and I really credit kind of my continued recovery um to that and the path it's kind of it set me on really you know it's it's a very beautiful program it's a but that's that's kind of what's worked for me but I think you know there's so much in you know 
I think often it's like in the seeking, as long as you're out seeking to grow, I think you will grow. You'll, you'll find your thing, whatever you, you need to do. Um, you know, it, and it's nothing is a quick fix. I don't think there is such thing as a quick fix necessarily. Um, yeah, I think you've just got to try not give up on yourself and, and keep trying things and find the thing that works for you. Um, and don't, don't, give up on anything because it you know too quickly I guess well I'm I guess I guess what I'm trying to say is basically I uh, yeah for me kind of walking into meetings and stuff I tried for a lot of I tried for a lot of years before it actually worked and eventually I got to a point where it did it did work um because I was ready to kind of take it on and do the things that I needed to do and practice the the program um i'm trying to kind of not quote the um the book um that's fine sorry, no that's okay i mean it was quite a very a vague sort of general <laughs> question and you're right i mean there is no like catch-all thing that you can go oh there's this one thing you can do which everyone will, will yeah mm. which will help everyone but yeah 12-step program really useful um i personally know of go on the other thing Oh, sorry. I just, I just now you've said that actually. I mean, so that's been, that's been, yeah, that's been really transformative in my life. Um, and I would recommend it for anyone who's, who's got like addictive tendencies, um, and to give it a go and to keep giving it a go and, and, and to give it a fair go, basically don't, you know, don't just dip in once and think, oh, that's not for me. I mean, just try it for a little bit and see, um, that would be my advice for that. But there's been some amazing things I've um I'm I'm currently reading The Holistic Psychologist How to Do the Work which is an incredible book and it's all about kind of um psychology spirituality and your physicality so yeah those three things your body your mind and your spirit um and she's incredible the way she kind of marries all three because often you hear about kind of spirituality in one thing over here and then we sort of separate out sort of health and physical wellness over here and then psychology is and mental health is kind of somewhere else but actually the three are completely intertwined and um the three absolutely impact each other and her kind of understanding of trauma and how that shapes us and and what that actually looks like because people often think trauma is something like big t trauma so it's something like major that's happened to you whereas it can actually just be the experience of not being seen not being heard not being given permission to be you um not being able to express how you feel or what you think um that's a that's a kind of trauma that impacts you and shapes you um and um yeah basically gives you this yeah it gives you amazing tools on how to kind of reparent yourself and um heal yourself um in your in your adult years it's amazing so i'd recommend that for anyone who's kind of doing a bit of soul searching who what's the author who's the author uh dr nicole Perra, and she's known as the holistic psychologist on um instagram really incredible stuff Yeah, so you also do um, you also DJ quite often, don't you? Yeah, I mean that's a classic case of me doing loving it, doing it for the process rather than for the <laughs> rather than for the uh, for anything else because yeah, it's mainly um, 
it's mainly for my enjoy- enjoyment. Yeah, I really enjoyed listening to sure. mixes, and I'll share them in the show notes. Some great tunes in there. Thank you. What, what do you what do you think? What's your like yeah. favorite stuff to mix at the moment? What are you sort of into playing right now? So, I mean, I tend to play quite a lot of breaks, and I really like things that have a kind of euphoric vibe. Um, I'm very into that kind of like '90s influenced euphoria inducing kind of house and breaks sort of early acid house vibes at least um but I've always been quite eclectic as well so I like to kind of mix it up too um I've always I think when I started DJing I was really eclectic and then I sort of felt I had to kind of like hone it down a little bit to have to develop an identity and I'm starting to think maybe I don't need to do that anymore Mm. if you know what I mean it was something that actually put me off DJing for a long time was because I could never decide like what genre I'd want to play because I loved house I loved techno I loved like um you know drum and bass hip-hop whatever it was you know I'd always be there would always be like a million different types of music I liked garage whatever um and so yeah so I never really felt like I could commit to just one genre and that actually stopped me for a while yeah but Saying that, um, I yeah, I sort of feel like I I have a over the years I've sort of honed a sound, and then probably now that I've honed that sound, it's probably time to like kind of abort it all and start all over again. Um, yeah. But yeah, sort of kind of acid breaks, old old school kind of nineties influenced stuff, but a lot of new producers and yeah as well as kind of the classic old stuff. Excellent. Uh, I don't know how to end interviews. I'm terrible at it. Um, but it's been really nice to speak to you today. Thank you. Uh, yeah, it's been really lovely chatting to you. Thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, no, yeah, it's been, it's been great. It's been great. And uh, honoured to be asked. And so, yeah, look forward to listening to more of your episodes. I'm ve- I have lots of respect for... Um, for all the yeah I was looking back through your back catalogue and I think it's yeah it's amazing and and knowing like the work that goes into it I'm I'm very impressed and I and I would love it if I could <laughs> keep keep up my podcast um to the standard you're doing yours so thank you for for that wow well thank you yeah thank you for um yeah saying that it's been really yeah it's um a lot of what it is a lot of work uh yeah it's been an amazing experience this basically it's basically helped me you know when we spoke on the phone i said like it's helped me through lockdown 100 percent. so um yeah i feel lucky to be able to have these sorts of conversations and um yeah do it for the love of it i think that's 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 why this is happening yeah the power the power of audio to connect people and yeah it's a beautiful thing that's a great yeah. that's a great point to end it on that's an inspirational high note. Yeah, let's end it there. <laughs> Thanks so much, Chris. <laughs> what an amazing story Millie's got. Uh, she's really come from really dark places uh, to be able to be where she is now. And it's really commendable. It's really admirable and it's really inspiring that she came from those, those places to be able to be working at Radio 1 as a producer, as ra- at Radio 6 Music. And um, yeah, making programs that uplift people, that help people who maybe feel isolated and don't have a voice. 
Um, it's really, really commendable work, and um, it was fascinating to speak to her about her career. And um, yes, I think if you are if you are feeling those ways, like we all do at times, it's always worth uh, reaching out to friends and um, looking for help instead of suffering alone. Okay, on the show next time, we have an amazing uh, improv musician who is prolific. Uh, he's released over 300 albums, and uh, he's been mentioned a couple of times on the podcast, um, so you might recognize him when he comes. Um, yes, thank you very much for listening. Please support the podcast if you can. It really means a great deal. And um, we'll rendezvous in a couple of weeks. Thank you very much for listening. I'm Madeira, and I'll see you soon.